welcome to tonight's Wireside Chat. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Melissa Hart. Hey. And uh, our special guest tonight, uh, Kelly Jacobson. Very excited to have Kelly with us. Um, Thank you for having me. And we're going to talk about many things tonight. Um, but before we do, I want to kind of give a little intro to, to Kelly. Uh, Dr. Kelly Ann Jacobson is the author or editor of many published books, including her contest-winning chapbook, An Inventory of Abandoned Things, from Split Lip Press, and her award-winning young adult novel, Tink and Wendy, from Three Rooms Press, and her new young adult novel, Robin and Her Misfits, also from Three Rooms Press. Kelly received her PhD in fiction from Florida State University and teaches creative writing full-time as an assistant professor of English. Her short works have been published in such places as Best Small Fictions, Boulevard, Southern Humanities Review, Daily Science Fiction, and Gargoyle. That's quite an impressive CV there, Kelly. Thank you. I get very <laughs> shy when people read it. I'm like, oh, that can't be me. <laughs> just call me Kelly. It's just fine. <laughs> Somehow it's you. It's me. Uh, and as Melissa says, please put any questions that you may have uh, into the chat, and we'll make sure that we surface them. Um, so I guess what I would like to talk about, well, first of all, is your new book, Robin and Her Misfits, which, as yeah. we know, is like a queer retelling of uh, Robin Hood. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about the book, how it's doing, where, where it came from, what the Robin Hood angle is, and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, so I know the worst question for me to answer is like where I get my ideas from, because I'm one of those people that's like a compost heap kind of writer where it's all just floating in there and then like things pop out. Um, but this one kind of was more sort of I had written Tink and Wendy, which was my first retelling, and I really enjoyed it. I really liked doing it and I wanted to do another one. Um, and kind of my dream was that I would publish it with the same publisher eventually. And I couldn't think of anything for a really long time. And I think it's just because the ones that are easy to redo have been redone a lot. And the ones that aren't, um, sometimes they're just so problematic that you don't want to really address them again. You know, it's like classic damsel in distress or whatever, um, you know, Sleeping Beauty, things like that can be really challenging at first to kind of find a way into. And so um, I think Robin Hood just kind of popped into my head as something that hadn't been redone that much that felt like it had room for me to change enough of it that I could find myself in it. So I knew I wanted to do a retelling and, and that popped into my brain. And I just had this idea of the first chapter, which is just Robin, like riding her motorcycle down a highway. You know, her hair is like flying behind her and she's on this motorcycle and she has White Rabbit, one of the other characters kind of in her ear. It's very Fast and the Furious-esque. Um, and, you know, she says like fly or whatever. And so then she like goes and, and hijacks a truck, basically. And so that was my initial chapter. And it was funny because my editor at my publisher was like, you know, we want to take the last chapter and take the first half of it and move it as the first chapter like a prologue because the character seems so bad at first <laughs> that they didn't seem redeemable. And so if they, if you could kind of see them being redeemable at the beginning of the book, you would know that this was coming, you know, towards the end. And I agreed. And I think that was a good decision, but um, they definitely have that kind of misfits-esque um, idea about them. And so it sort of is the steal from the rich and then they give to themselves at first. And then by the end, <laughs> they, they change to give to other people. Um, but yeah, they definitely start out as just keeping everything, you know, and of course they would because in contemporary times, a bunch of queer young adult runaways are going to, you know, use the money, need the money and just kind of hide away from society and sort of realize that might not be the best plan eventually. So, so yeah, the, and, uh, I was going to say, so the so the, the the sort of the fairy tale part came came first, the desire to retell a particular fairy tale. And but once you fastened on Robin Hood, what did the character of Robin just spring kind of full blown to you at that point? That, this one is very much, I mean, I call my books reimaginings rather than retellings. Tink and Wendy was closer to the original because I took original ideas like from Neverland or Captain Hook and I did these like fake backstories that I had kind of made up within the world of Neverland. So that one had a lot more Neverland stuff in it. Um, so it was interesting. I, I was talking to another one of my friends who does retellings and she was saying that I usually um, 
keep the characters but change the plot and I think that's very true like the characters have the heart of the original characters in them but then everything else that happens is completely different whereas she does the opposite thing and so the plot is similar but the characters are completely different and so it's kind of interesting to think about that I do a lot of like what if Robin Hood was a girl in contemporary times well everything would be different it's not really retelling the story it's almost retelling the character and Tinkerbell was a lot like that too I kind of took these kernels of real things like Peter Pan everyone gets mad at me because they now hate Peter Pan after reading my book, but I took a kernel of really what is Peter Pan, you know, if you took him to a bit of an extreme, but I took his real character and then I just put him in contemporary times where things aren't quite so lovely when you steal boys and, you know, hide them away and make a girl clean your house and things like that. Um, <laughs> and so it's it's taking those same characters, but doing something really different with them. And so that's, that's kind of what I did here, but to a pretty extreme degree, I think. But this one's all just about found family, you know, the way that like, like little John's in it and things like that. And so they kind of bond and, and have this found family hiding in the woods-esque um and you know group basically and what what is the what is it that the that the stories that you're retelling what is it that you're looking to capture from those stories or what is it that they have inside them that you're looking to to bring forward more or less intact into your contemporary um you know setting yeah that's a great question i think it's kind of like a carrot that I just dangle in front of people, really, you know, to be like to be something intriguing. People like retellings like we like the stories that we already know told in slightly different ways. Right. That's what we're all looking for. And so it has this kind of idea of you're going to get something sort of familiar. And because of that familiarity, I actually think pushing the stories to their extremes works better because people have that love of that character. And so um, they kind of come to it that way and then they go, wait a minute why did I love Peter Pan before? <laughs> you know, like, why did I love the idea of stealing from people? Like, I loved that. I did love that when I was a kid. But when you see it, you know, in a retelling, it kind of makes you think differently, whereas just my own original character wouldn't do that. It's like this multi-layer process of being like, oh my gosh, I love Peter Pan. Whoa, Peter Pan's super misogynistic. Why did I think that was good before? And it kind of like makes you look at sort of your own belief system differently, whereas I don't think a, a different book would do that. So that's what I like about them. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of times we have these memories of stories like Robin Hood and Peter Pan that are that are from our childhoods. Perhaps we haven't read them uh, that recently um, or are that acquainted with them. So they 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 come, you know, kind of wrapped in this golden glow of, of childhood. And then when we read them again or are exposed to a retelling of them, we see them in a different light, maybe see ourselves in a different light. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Although people get mad at me on Goodreads, but I love that. I'm like, just tell me more. I don't care. I love it. <laughs> you think that's a, that's a, a niche that you've found for yourself now? Is that something you're going to continue working? I'm working on a retelling right now. Um, it's a little bit more high fantasy high fantasy, which I haven't gotten to do in a long time. And I love every time my students know this, every time one of my students turns in a high fantasy, I'm like, yes. And I'll just comment yeah. on there like, thank you for being in this class, because that's what I used to read when I was a young adult. And so that really is what drew me first into young adult. And I had a pen name and I wrote some like really bad young adult books at first, <laughs> which, like, or not, not these ones, but like some really bad ones as I was learning to write young adult. And I, I was in high fantasy when I was doing that or urban fantasy, because that's just what I loved to read. Um, and, and lately I've kind of found a way to combine sort of some of my like more literary contemporary stuff with young adult but I didn't know how to do that at first like it's all just a learning process for me um and so yeah I always get excited though when I see high fantasy so I'm doing something like that now and I'm co-writing that with another author so it's kind of like a secret but hopefully not for that long when right I hopefully that's the that's the one where you're sort of on a tight deadline for right yeah a little bit a little bit well it's mostly that the summer will end and then I will be teaching many classes at the same mm -hmm. time so I need right. to kind of like, for me, it's like, I'll just go through these periods where I write like a lot. Um, and then I just kind of, I need to give myself the grace to take time off because I have two children who are five and under. And so I'm just trying to do all my jobs and writing in them and promoting my books. I have another book coming out in the fall, a literary science fiction. So I'm going to have to promote that. And so like juggling everything and a lot of like talking to my students is like telling them to just give themselves the grace to take breaks without feeling like they're not writers like you they always say like you're a writer if you're writing but you can be a writer if you're not writing <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm a writer even when I'm not writing and so I've, I've come to accept that about my life but it can be complicated yeah a lot of times I'm sorry go ahead Melissa oh no I just is it okay to ask a couple of questions from from of course viewers? 
Well, yeah. um, just before uh, before Kelly leaves this topic, Liberty wants to know, are you looking to pull forward an aspect of the original fairy tale that was originally only briefly touched upon, or are you adding additional aspects into your stories? This is for the secret project. Um, the secret project is actually closer to the original story than I normally do, I would say. Um, it kind of flips some things. Um, my aspect of it is is kind of a, a bit more original, I would say. Um, but no, no, they're they're both pretty, they're both very original. But they are very much retelling, so they're they're closer to a retelling um, than what I normally do. And I would say that's mostly just the co-authoring aspect. You know, um, I really liked this person's idea, and it kind of came from them initially. And then I basically took a strand of their idea and said, "How about I write this as a second character, and then we go back and forth." And so it's kind of hard to describe without giving too much away. But right. um, that is that is closer to a retelling than I probably normally would do um, but I'm having fun with it because I'm I'm learning and growing you know by doing co-authoring which is a new thing for me I've never done that before I think that would be a hard thing to do like I, I was lucky enough um, I was asked by somebody and it's someone who really works with me as as a personality they're very like scheduled and driven but also type b at the same time that is a hard combination to find so I'm enjoying it but I will say like that is that is probably drawing me closer to more of a retelling than I than I would initially but yeah usually I just look for a kernel and then I I just change everything and I don't care like you know students when I do assemblies are like do you care about the honor of the original I'm like do I look like I care no <laughs> I'm so anti-establishment I couldn't care about anything less I don't care I love it um I love messing with people's cherished memories apparently but um, Kelly you're you're a bit of a misfit yourself well, I am. I always take myself and I I dial me up to like 200%. Like I've never even ridden a motorcycle, but I'm acting like I have, but I haven't. Um, it's in me. It's all in me. You know, Tinkerbell was in me, like crabby little Tinkerbell. But Wendy is also like me, you know, mothery and, and sweet and stuff. And so I've, I've got those, those two sides. Do we have time for two more questions or maybe one? Sorry. Go for it. Um, somebody wants to know, did you start writing your book intentionally for YA readers or did it just happen that way? And could well, you have taken <laughs> other topics further if it had been more of an adult novel? It's a good question. I think Tink and Wendy is very much a young adult book. I think Robin and Her Misfits is on the border of being a young adult or an adult book. I think both of them could be for adult audiences because Tink is basically an adult trapped in a young person's body because she like doesn't age. And so that she does some things like she like we start off by seeing her like basically go to a bar. Right. And she's like getting kicked out and they don't let her in because she's a kid. Um, and so there's just there's some themes of like motherhood and things like that with Wendy kind of mothering her siblings that I think relate to older audiences and younger. Um, but it the sort of love aspect of it is very much a young adult kind of story. Um, Robin and Misfits is on the border. The age of the protagonist leans it young adult because um, I think they're 18 for most of the book and then they do get a bit older. Um, I actually kind of feel like it might be new adult, but you know, uh, it doesn't fit a lot of the tropes of new adult. And so I think it, it sits better as young adult, but you know, 14 to 18 or whatever. Um, but I would say it does also have some, some themes that would work for adult audiences too. So that's a good question. I intended it to be young adult. It was interesting because then my publisher was like, so this is adult, right? And I was like, I don't think so. I think it's young adult. And then I talked to my editor who was like, I think it's young adult. Um, and so we had this whole conversation with my editor about, whether queer books um, often we would read as um, young adult that other people would read as adult because like that idea of growing up faster and um, facing hardships and things like that that people think of as being adult problems sometimes can happen to you when you're younger you know when you're a queer person and so we had this whole conversation of like isn't it interesting that we see this book as young adult and so we decided to do young adult but that wasn't a kind of open question for a while that's a that's a great question that's really interesting. I mean, is, is, do you think that it was the the attitude that just because there's a queer element to this book that by that by that alone, it's it was a it was for adults. It could not be for I mean, in the mind of the of the publisher. I don't think the publisher. No, no, no. I don't think the publisher. I think that was more of the like stealing and things like that. That was more of the crime. I don't think that was the queer part to the publisher. I think that um, the overall reading arena, I, I mean, I can say from personal experience touring just now, like 
I had a newspaper article written about me, about how I shouldn't be there talking to these young, impressionable young adults. Um, and, you know, people are very concerned about young adults as if young adults read, which like I, I teach college, uh, not this program, obviously, but I teach undergraduate students. I have so many students that have never read a book and people are most worried about young adults going and reading books in libraries. It just cracks me up because it's like, how you know anyway that's the whole thing but um yeah i had a whole newspaper article written about me and i had counter protesters basically there to like protect me oh as gosh. i was going in and so um it was very dramatic it ended up being fine because it was like at a inconvenient time and no one came to protest which is great um but it was frightening for me and um yeah it was just interesting talking to the young adults there because they had no problem with it to them it was a young adult book they they loved it and then they just told me about all their you know problems of what's going on in their schools and things um so, yeah, it, it was just interesting um, kind of dealing with that. So I think more on the general readership side, people think, oh, there's queer characters. That means it's a queer romance. And if it's a queer romance, that means it's this hypersexualized thing, which none of which mm. clearly is true. But um, that is that is often the case. And my books are not romance. I'm such an awkward person. I could never write romance in a million years. Mine are very the romance is very understated. It, it's a B plot. You know, it's not like the main story. Um, but I think people read it that way because of it being a queer book. Want to grab another question, Melissa? Yeah, sorry, I had to okay. mute myself because there's a Stellar's Day fighting outside and it was so annoying. Uh, somebody I, just saw Kimberly, I saw Kimberly say I work in a library and I wish I could get young adults to read. And I'm like, I know that's yeah. that's that's how I feel. I'm like, I right. spend my every day getting teens to read. And then they're like, my teen has read a book. Also, can we talk about how teens can just read free books online? Like, do people not know how the internet works? But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, they're just like, oh, they'll never find the books if we take them out of the libraries, the place nobody really goes <laughs> in their school. Yeah, just insane. Somebody asked if you could share your bibliography, but I'm not sure what they're referring to. I oh, put your uh, website up at the beginning of the chat. Yeah, why don't you throw the website in there again? Because you probably have all your stuff up at your website. I think you do. Oh, yeah, I've got all my books there and they're on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that stuff. Um, but if they mean like help with the CV kind of thing, you know, also I can help them with that. But um, yeah, it's definitely it's all on my website for sure. Do you feel, Kelly, that um, emerging writers, new writers should have a basic website? Oh, yes. <laughs> so oh, I, I love my website. Like I couldn't love my website more. I mean, I don't understand how to use it half the time because it's kind of an advanced website because my dad worked for like a website marketing company and made my website, which is too advanced for me. And I wish I had a simpler <laughs> website. But anyway, um, it looks great. And everyone always asks me like how I did it and everything. Um, so it looks good for an author website, I think. But I love it. I mean, it's basically my card, right? Like if anyone says, oh, do you have a card? I'm just like, look me up, Kelly Jacobson. And the first thing that comes up is my website. I mean, I talk to my students all the time about this, like put every publication on there, put your bio on there, a photo, like just everything, you know, should go on there. I basically treat my website like a CV where I'm just updating it constantly every time anything happens I've got excerpts I've got you know contact page and all that kind of stuff um I mean I think it's like one of the most important things I, I want everyone who googles me to just see my website first and then from there to have buy links and and all that good stuff but yeah I put everything even like if I get a positive review I update my website so everything should always be on there and my publisher will reach out to me if they notice I haven't updated something which occasionally happens and they'll say, oh, can you update this or whatever? So people are just constantly looking at it. And I think it's super important. I do um, blogs. I I don't blog as much as I should, but I try and at least do news or I'll get people to, to like um, guest blog for me who kind of want to, you know, get their name out there or whatever. If anyone wants to do that, let me know. Um, so, yeah, I do kind of put content on there pr pretty frequently. And I, also, I write short stories and poetry and nonfiction. And so I have a lot of smaller publications that I that I post on there in case people want to read free stuff. How do you drive people to your website? How do you get the eyeballs there? Yeah, um, I mean, I clearly am a social person, so I, I talk to a lot of people. I get people there. Um, I mean, like anytime I do like an assembly, I put I give my website or I put it up there. Um, I'll have like teachers send it out. I post constantly. So like sometimes I'll just post to my website on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter instead of to my publication. So then it'll take you to all my fiction stories or something and then you click the one you're looking for. Um, so I post it a lot. 
you know, as much as possible in any way possible. And, you know, I have cards, although I think I actually am out of cards, but, you know, just put my website on there and that's it, you know, and you just tell people about yourself and give them your card with your website on it and they'll go and they'll hopefully buy your books. Um, let me shift gears. I want, actually want to backtrack a little bit. I wanted to, to delve a little bit deeper into something that you mentioned a moment ago, which was how um, the new book, Robin and her Misfits is kind of on the cusp of YA and new adult. And you mentioned the tropes of new adult. Some of the tropes of new adult were present in this new novel. So what, and I know a lot of our students are writing new adult or are confused about whether they're writing YA or young adult. Me um, too. Or new adult. So, so <laughs> Me what, too. Is the, what is the dividing line and what are some of the tropes that are more associated with new adult than young adult? This is purely my opinion, because I, I think this is a complicated question. Um, I think new adult, when I think of it, I mean, age wise, it's college age to me. Like it's a protagonist that's college age, typically doing either like college age things or first job things or like didn't get a job or go to college. And what do I do now? Kind of things. Those questions that happen after high school, whereas I feel like young adult is either high school or like right as the person's 18. It's like they're old enough to like show things on the page that maybe if they were 17, you wouldn't, but they haven't quite like made it to the next step yet. And this is not true for everything. I'm just talking about for, for myself when I'm thinking about it, because it's a marketing tool, right? Every label right. we put on things is a marketing tool. You know, you could have a protagonist that's eight years old, but if you want to sell it as a literary novel, you have to write it as a literary novel, and then you have to be able to publish it and market it as, as a literary novel, right? So you probably wouldn't do that um, unless it's third person and very literary. So you just kind of have to like match who you're trying to sell it to. And I, I think young adult tends to draw adult readers and young adult readers, you think like Hunger Games and things like that. New adult tends to draw people that are like going into that stage of life and want to read and know about that next stage of life um and so like thinking about like new adult romance like on a college campus or something like my books are so so not that so i do think they're they're drawing adult and young adult readers but it's like signaling a different thing than like saying new adult would be um i do the age does become new adult within the book i would say there are some new adult themes in that they do eventually have to make like life decisions um kind of like a new adult would but yeah i, I would still say overall uh yeah it's a tough it's a tough thing and it's also like because tink and wendy was young adult you want to have two young adults so you're kind of drawing from that same audience but it is it's really just a marketing question i think but that, that's just my personal opinion um people define it in a lot of different ways same as like what's a short story great question i spend many semesters <laughs> looking at people wondering about that and we don't know so yeah i think it's i think it's very similar to that I thought there was a question in here I wanted to. Um, well, um, maybe Keith Burton's and staying true to the character of Peter Pan, what source or sources did you primarily pull from? I'm going to let you in on a secret, which is not very many. <laughs> so obviously, like I had read it a long time ago, I think. I'm sure I did. <laughs> I had uh, I had watched the movie. Um, the tricky thing about the movie is it's not obviously in public domain. It's Disney. And so you can't draw anything. Like if you think about Tinkerbell, what you think Tinkerbell looks like, that's not how Tinkerbell looks in the book. So I did go back to the book to refer to all things. So like anytime I was like, what was Tinkerbell wearing? I would go to the book. I never rewatched the movie. I didn't rewatch any remakes. Like some people like to delve into that and see what's been done. I don't. I'm somebody where like if I'm writing something, everything else turns off. I don't read anything in the same genre. I'll read in different genres, but I won't read in the same genre. Everything turns off except like my little universe because I don't want any of the outside stuff kind of interfering. Um, and so I didn't refer to that much except parts of the book. And I would just Google the specific passages and find them in the book. I didn't reread the book from beginning to end. After I finished, I went back and I reread the book from beginning to end. Um, but I didn't do it beforehand because I really wanted to take like the ideas that I knew and just then apply them completely to my own original thing. And I feel like if I'd had that influence, like I hear my students do this, you know, they're like, I've looked up 2000 facts about da da da. And like, I would just be so overwhelmed by that. I wouldn't be able to find my voice in it, but for some people it really helps them. I'm just, I'm just not one of them. So I didn't do a lot of research. I didn't reread the book, like nothing. I, I just kind of like took it in and ran with it and made sure I didn't 
you know, take anything from Disney. But um, besides that, yeah, then it wasn't until afterwards that I did it. But I don't I didn't really worry too much about, as I said, like, it's not really to honor the original. It's more to talk about, like, what's wrong with the fact that we still like some of the ideas of the original that when taken out of context, we don't like. Um, so, yeah, like, like, really, I think the book isn't really about Peter Pan. So like it's a Peter Pan retelling, but it's really like a Wendy and Tinkerbell retelling. So it's a love triangle between Tinkerbell, Wendy and Peter, but Peter, although he seems, this is the whole problem, right? He seems like the main character because he's so showy and he's so fun. And like, what I really like about him in the book is that he does have appealing traits. Like you understand why all the lost boys follow him. And in the book, like lost boys have died and you kind of find out why. And it's all for this like big show that Peter's putting on. And because there's this spell, like no one remembers that Peter accidentally has killed people and things like that. But it's like, you understand why people follow him because he's so charming and Wendy's charmed by him. And so Tink and Wendy kind of like can't get together because there's this Peter Pan dude in the way. Um, but you it's complex. Like you you get why people like him at the same time as you kind of hate him because he's he's in the way. But it's not really about him. He's just kind of there to mess everything up for everybody. But yeah. I think there's a I don't want to say a vogue, but there but there is definitely a kind of renewed interest in in looking at fairy tales through a more con either a contemporary lens or maybe a more self-consciously literary lens somebody earlier in the chat had mentioned kelly link who is somebody oh, yeah. that does stuff like that and kate bernheimer over at the fairy tale review does a lot mm -hmm. of stuff like that as well um what what do you make of that is that is that something that's that is reflective of something that's going on in our culture our world right now well it's well, interesting, interesting. So um, um, I have noticed, oh, I'm echoing here. Am I echoing? Too? Okay, now I think I'm good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're um, fine. I noticed with agents, a lot of agents, when I was looking for an agent for Tinkin Wendy, were like, oh, I'm so sick of retellings. I'm not looking for any retellings. Oh, I'm really picky about retellings. What the thing is about agents is I feel like they're more cautious because they make their money by selling your book, right? And so they're more cautious to take things. I actually think the general readership really wants. I think general readership is not sick of retellings. And I think until there are retellings for everybody that reflect everybody, there aren't enough retellings. And so to me, um, that is not something people are sick of, but I think agents are sick of taking it and they think it's not going to sell. And clearly that isn't true. They're still going. This was like, years ago, you know, and they're clearly still very popular. Um, and so I find that interesting. I think that readers really like them. Something I think about a lot, um, one of the questions I get asked by students a lot, especially undergraduate level, but you know, masters too, is like, oh, what do I do if someone steals my idea? Oh my gosh, someone's gonna steal my idea. I don't even wanna share it. They're gonna steal my idea. I'm like, oh, what's your idea? A breakup. I'm just like, you can't, you can't copyright that. <laughs> There's only so many stories, right? And so really like retellings are just, what all stories are because they all are retellings but they're they're calling themselves retellings. so like why is that so okay to us but then you think about like oh it was too close to this story and that's not okay but we're all really just copying the same story so why does that idea appeal to us i think it just appeals to us because of our childhood like we want to go back and feel like we're kids again we want to see those familiar things that like appeals to us because of that like sense of missing our childhood and wanting to relive our childhood um, in a different way than typically seeing the same story over and over again would, but really they are all, they're all the same, like seven stories or whatever. Um, and, and I, you know, on the instructor side, we know that because we read a lot of similar stories. I mean, I had two students one semester turn in like, um, you know, hell, like retellings in the same class. And they were both just like, wait, what? And I'm like, do you know how many of these there already are? Like, and it's not that you can't do it, but like, don't think you're the only one because you're not the only one, even within one class, you're not the only one. So I think it's all just about your original take on it. Um, and for some reason with retellings, we're, we're okay with that. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I, I wonder if this connected somehow as well with the popularity of fan fiction. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that I remember when I was was kind of first starting out as a writer and I went to a, a, a writer's workshop and one of the one of the other young writers there mentioned that they wrote fan fiction and the instructors just came down on them so hard. That is not something that we do in this workshop. And the attitude toward fan fiction now is completely different. Um, yeah. I feel like it's celebrated now. A lot of professional writers are writing fan fiction and they're not shy about saying that that's where they got their start. Yeah. There, there, 
in a way a, a, a retelling of a of a of a well-known story of a of a fairy tale of a myth isn't that drawing from the same well perhaps as fan fiction 100% 100% I don't yeah 100% it is it's just that it's in the public domain versus not in the public domain that's the only difference you know you're using stories that you're allowed legally to use versus you're not which means you can't sell it which means it has to go on like Wattpad or something and that's actually that's why I started writing young adult so I never intended to write young adult I was purely brought up like literary I did speculative fiction literary speculative fiction poetry I was very much clearly you you heard I'm an academic right and so that was my side of things and then I wrote a novel after my master's I published that novel and I went to go do an author talk with queer young adults but it wasn't because I was like here's my young adult book it was because I was talking to queer teens in Pennsylvania where I was from to be like here's what it's like to be an author you know I love to I love to talk to young people like I, I wish I had sort of had more of that I've wanted to be a writer my whole life and so I like to give back in that way um and the students and people there were like we we don't have any books for us on the bookshelves because this was like what like 12 13 years ago or something like that um and so I was literally sitting there and they were like could we read your book and I'm like well it's very much an adult book like you're not gonna like it you can read it but you're not gonna like it and then I was like I should just fix this problem and from that day on I've written young adult and so my whole career changed basically in response to like reader desire um and those those students were reading only queer books on Wattpad and it was all fan fiction so that was like what they were reading and now they're able to walk into Barnes and Noble and buy my book which is basically the same thing but legally okay um and so yeah I do think within my author time that has shifted completely and I've gotten to kind of live that like basically my whole career and it's been really cool but also kind of disorienting to realize like people are reading my books who never would have thought to read a queer book. I mean, my first novel, my literary novel was published by um, a small press under erotica. It had like a kiss in it, but because <laughs> it had a lesbian protagonist, they were like, what do <clears throat> we do with this book? I was like, oh my God. And, but back then it's like, you're going to publish me and you're the only one. So let's do this. But, um, and I just kind of had to take it and, and not get upset about it could have but um you know that's kind of part of being a writer we talk about rejection a lot in my classes how to take rejection you know how to take notes and it can be really hard especially when someone's like are you actually queer enough to write this book and I'm like please tell me about that more right um but you know you kind of do have to sometimes let this wave off of you and, and when I first spoke to my publisher they gave me uh, my current publisher gave me a really good compliment and they were like we can tell you're in it for your career instead of this one book just in the way they were like we have a suggestion I'm like great we want to do this cool because I want to be an author I don't want to just publish one book that I'm so precious about and then never make it to the next step and so I've had to kind of learn to do that I think a bit but yeah what about your next book the the literary science fiction book you mentioned is that yeah. also YA going back to my love no 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 that is that is very literary so that was my PhD dissertation I do not think they knew what to do with me when I was like I'm writing a book about aliens told in every different point of view and it's epistolary and they were like <laughs> okay <laughs> no one there does speculative fiction well maybe now they do but when I went there there was like one person that did specific and like we didn't ever talk about it um you know in class it's all literary it's all short story and I was just like totally fish out of water but I knew I wanted to teach and so I, I and I only had a master's and so I was like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna get my PhD because I want to teach full-time I want to be tenured um and so I did it but I I did not fit into that world <laughs> I will tell you that much um but they ended up loving it they were like this is funny and yet depressing and because it's all about like basically aliens take over the world and then they're like you know what we should have a court case and be fair because they're above us um and they're better than us so they do this court case and then the whole book is like this historian going back to tell the story of the court case and all the documents that were brought up to the court case to decide who got earth and so yeah that comes out it's from a, a small um college press that i love so much livingston press which is out of um, university of west alabama where i taught last year and so joe taylor um is the best and he's going to publish it and yeah anyway. that's awesome i, I yeah. look forward to it I, you know i'm a big you, science fiction reader, reader so yeah, yeah. Thank you. That makes me feel better. My mom read it and she was just like, I don't get this. I'm like, that's okay. I expected that yeah. to happen. She's not a sci-fi person whatsoever. No, Once my she dad saw is Alien, the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, my dad reads my books. He's like, I, I, I just don't get it. It seems well written. But. Hey, uh, Kelly, somebody wants to know what your what your writing schedule looks like. Where and when do you write? 
Oh my goodness. Okay. So, um, don't model yourself after that. This is this is one of those things where like we're going to write our announcements, our weekly announcements, and I'm like, what do I write here? Because what I want to tell people is like, you have to make your own schedule and whatever. If I start talking about my schedule, people are going to get depressed because <laughs> I write very quickly. I don't revise a lot. Um, I, I write for like an hour or two a day when I have days to do that. Um, and when I don't have days to do that, I don't. And I still write multiple books a year typically. And it's just because I really tell people like there's two types of writers. There's like the people that are going to write and then they're going to revise and it's going to be like revise, revise, revise. Amazing. And then there's the people that are going to write a novel and then they're going to be like, that was horrible. But I might try and publish it anyway. Oh, that didn't work because it's horrible. Next book. And I've written like 30 books now. And so every time I write a book, mm the book gets better and then the next one's better. And then now I'm at the point where I feel like I write books and I don't have to revise that much, but it's not that I'm not revising. I still had to learn all the same lessons, but I learned them over many books instead of learning them by revising. But I still think you have to do one of those two things. Yeah. I'm not going to write your first novel. Perfect. My first novel took me five years. Um, I started it when I was 18 years old off of a short story I wrote in undergrad. Um, I got to my master's program. I put it aside and I decided like, I'm going to work on description and characterization, but mostly setting description because the book took place in Egypt, which I had been to. And it was a whole long story, but um, I was like, it's going to, it's going to take place in Egypt and I'm horrible at setting. I'm a plotter. I'm just like plot, 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 plot. And so I was like, I got to be able to sit in this location. All I'm going to do for two years is write short stories and focus. And then I basically, and I took a grammar, a master's grammar class. I went back and I read my book and I was like, this is horrible. And because it was my first book and it was my baby and it involved so much from my life at the time, I printed that book and I put it next to my computer and I rewrote it entirely from scratch. And that is my first published book. And so in the same way, I, I learned by writing a book again in order to learn like how to make a scene, how to describe, how to take my time. Um, and so, yeah, it, it has taken me a long time to do that. And I think I got to the same place someone who'd been working on the same book for the past 20 years would have gotten. We're in the same place, um, we, but I'm okay with my way of doing things and, and they're okay with their way of doing things, but we, we get well, there. And, and you've got a backlist already and they don't, yeah. right? Because they would just well, have one novel coming. Yeah, about short story. My students are like, why do I have to know about short story? Oh my gosh, this is a classic because I teach the short story class here. I'm not the only one, obviously, but um, classic. I come in and they're like, well, I'm only writing a novel because I want to be a novelist. And I'm like, okay, but what are you going to put in your bio? And then they go to write their bio and there's nothing in the bio except where they live and that they go here, right? And so I'm like, if you have some short stories, agents might like take more time to look at your query. They might think to look at your book, you know, like, like Weaver had already like been a finalist for multiple awards before I tried to pitch it to a press. Um, and so it's like, if you get things in your bio or you get things in the description, it's just going to make you look better. It'll make people take a second look. And so, and plus you can practice all those storytelling methods, not by writing a whole novel, but by writing a short story, which is a lot less time. Um, and so, so I think often like, yeah, that, that can be a learning process, but usually they leave my class liking the short story, but, um, that can be tricky at first. Yeah, I mean, if you uh, it's, uh, traditionally the short story has been kind of the proving ground for the novelist where, you know, you kind of learn your craft, because if you make if you make a mistake in a short story, you take a wrong turning. I mean, what is it? Five pages, 10 pages? Maybe the short story has to go out the window, but that's better than taking a, a wrong turn that leads you 300, 400 pages, yeah. you know, yeah. away from where you really want to be or having to put your novel aside and rewrite it completely, which is what you did. But you yeah. know what? You you did that in a kind of I, I don't wanna I don't wanna say anything negative about anybody, about any of our students, obviously, but there are a lot of students that in our program who are um extremely attached to their first novels. I and, know. Um, oh, the no the, babies, I know. Yeah, and so they're 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 obsessed and they're working on them over and over the novels over and over and over again which is great you know because you are learning your craft that way but at the same time you're kind of shutting the door on your real development as a writer because your first novel realistically is not the novel you're going to be known by it's not you're going to be your best novel it's just the novel that you wrote first and i think in some ways it's important to get past that first novel however you do it whether you sit down like you did and just like rewrite it from scratch um and that's not like wallowing in it right that's like i'm going to put this yeah. behind me i'm going to get this done 
Um, I think that's that's something that I think we need to be preparing our students for, really. Right. It's not it's not that your first novel has to be perfect in any way. It just has to be done because your real writing is going to come after that first novel. Yes, 100 percent. And I think really like my students are very interested in a lot of my students are plot people like they don't always know that they are they're like I'm really into my character and I'm like really because you fit a whole novel into five pages somehow they're like plot 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 and the the best way to learn how to slow down the pacing of what you're showing is to me a short story or thinking of novel chapters as short stories which I teach my students to do because I want it to seem applicable to their lives and they don't think it is but really there's there's no difference like if I'm gonna write a short story about me walking to the door or I'm gonna put that in my novel I shouldn't really be writing them any differently it should I should still be describing the wood and I should be describing how I step and I should be describing the feeling of the handle just because it's in my novel doesn't mean I shouldn't have all that description in there you know and so um one of my students emailed me and said I actually looked, I was reading a a novel and for the first time after taking your class, I realized every chapter is set up like a short story. And I'm like, because it is a short story, if it's done well, it should be, right? It should end on that cliffhanger. So it should go up and then drop down. It should have that same amount of plot. It should be just as beautifully written. There shouldn't be a difference. I think there is a difference because in novels, sometimes we get so invested that we're willing to quicken the pace and we're willing to just want to get to the next thing. And short story, you don't always have that time to become so invested in the story, but I don't think the writing should be that different and that's that's my biggest learning curve for me because I'm a plot person is learning how to slow down and describe so that the like the reader needs to feel like they they are the person even if it's third person like they need to feel the experience to believe that whatever it is is real and and so I need to use all the senses and I need to um plot out my scenes and I need to do all that stuff and so to me there's no difference and so the problems that come in the short story class are problems that are probably happening in everyone's novels too but you can work on it in 2000 words instead of 60,000 absolutely so how do you make yourself slow down as as a writer you're you're there in the moment you're visualizing a scene you're transferring it to the page do, do you to some point part of your mind go wait a minute i'm 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 missing important details here i need to slow down and then what do you do do you like just look more closely in your imagination or or what exactly yeah um the only thing I do in terms of revision, if I feel myself speeding up, especially the, the closer I get to the end, I'm like, oh, just get to the end, right? And then this is why I write so many novellas because my books are so short because by the end I'm like, go. Um, I, I will circle back and add sensory details because I know my writing enough to know that's what I left out. I didn't describe the mm-hmm. senses or I only use one of the senses and not five of the senses. And because I've spent years like working on that. I know that now. I couldn't see that when I first started writing. I would look at it and go, well, I told you they went to the door. Like, what more do you need to know? Or I'll add like an an adverb or something like she quickly went to the door. (laughs) Right. But like, how do you know it was quick? Well, like, what about the person's movement? Because in the process of going in the door, I've missed all the opportunities to like characterize that I like walk in really quick steps or that I'm short or like um, that I might do this while I'm walking. Like that would tell so much about me, but I've missed that opportunity by getting so quickly to the door. Um, and so you're you're missing characterization opportunities through description. Um, and, and often people don't don't know that when they first start writing, you know, and it's the stuff you sometimes almost skip over when you're reading if you're a quick reader. And I think a lot of our students are quick readers and so am I, I want the story. I just almost like just wanted to distill the story and read the outline because I want the plot. Um, but we do read it. It's like, but we almost don't notice. We're just in the character's eyes thinking we're experiencing it. We are reading the, that stuff, but it's like we're not noticing that we're reading it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's sort of what immerses readers more deeply into the work of fiction. Yeah. So deeply that they don't even realize that they're being immersed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Here's somebody that I'm I'm sorry, go ahead, Melissa. No, go ahead. I'm answering somebody in the chat. Oh, okay. Here's somebody that says, uh, I saw once that it helps to write a short story a day for 30 days to learn how to pace for a novel and to find your writing process. Um, And it makes me think of like uh, Harlan Ellison used to set that challenge to his to his students. And we recently had somebody on uh, word for word, the last word for word, uh, Michael LaRon. Uh, who mentioned that he was he was doing the Ray Bradbury challenge this mm. this this year, which is a, writing a story a week for for okay. the for the whole year. And I just thought, wow, that's incredible. 
But Bradbury I mean, was a kind of person that. that could do that. Do you think you can do, do that? I do that with chapters. I mean, I just split my yeah. novel into chapters and then I try and write a chapter a day. Um, sometimes those chapters are shorter and sometimes they're longer. And when I have the freedom, like I do in the summer, sometimes I'll write extra time if I feel like I haven't reached the end of that chapter. Um, but also like I know about how much I can pace in a chapter. Co-writing has really helped me actually in this regard, especially with these breaks I've had because I had to plot out. I wouldn't have because I plotting is so hard for like plotting out what I'm going to do. I mean, like outlining is so hard for me, even though I make all my speculative fiction students do it. And I'm, I know that it's good for you, but I hate it. But um, I had to because this person <laughs> sent me a 30 page outline of their chapters. And I was like, well, here's my one and a half page outline. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally. It was like one line. But you know what? We have been able to stick to our own outlines and we at least know the little container that each chapter has to be like a short story, right? And so every day I just write one of those little contained pieces of a greater story that I know will match up with whatever she's ending on. And so it's really made me realize, I think that moving forward, I should do that. Like not a long outline, I'll be bored, but something where I know the short story version, the little snippet short story description of what each chapter will be. Cause then I know that each one contains something exciting, um, that it makes sense with the others. I can move them around. You know, I really like that, that method, even though it really has taken me like what 15 years <laughs> to use an outline, but it's good for me. It's good for me. Okay, there's a great question in the chat. Is it okay? Go oh. for it. Whoa, where'd it go? It just went away. Okay, here's yes. whoops. Oh, there's so much going lot. on. I'm loving best, that. Best chat ever. Okay, back to your book, Robin and Her Misfits. Lola says, I'm curious about the queer aspect on a personal level. Sorry, I keep somebody read the rest of this. Are you part of the queer community yourself? Or did you just feel like writing a queer book because that's what felt right? Oh, that's a great question. I actually get asked that question a lot. Um, it's an interesting question. It's one of those questions. It's like... Um, parenting when people ask about parenting some authors are like well are you gonna ask a man about being a parent you know what I mean uh, and for me I I just like talking about parenting because I feel like it's very hard to be a parent and be a writer and be an academic um and more people need to talk about it and so I bring it up all the time I bring it up in job interviews like I brought it up in this job interview and I got a tenure track job so apparently and I'm sure Southern New Hampshire too um you know I I always bring it up because to me it's an important part of my identity and the more people who talk about it the more normalized it will be so it you know it is an interesting question to be asked a lot like about my sexual identity I am I'm queer. I'm pansexual. I'm very open about it. I feel like I'm sometimes in Groundhog Day because I just like come out over and over again on stages of <laughs> 300 people. Um, but it's very important to me that I do that. It's important that people feel represented. It's literally the whole reason that I started doing this in the first place. Um, I think right now there is this huge push for own voices, which I think is wonderful. I know it's very complicated. I see a lot of my students asking questions about that. I try and answer them when they come up and people are welcome to email me. I don't know everything about it, um, but I've also had to do a lot of learning about that. But um, it is important and it's complicated, obviously. Um, but yeah, I am pansexual. Most of my characters are pansexual, bisexual, some, something along the line. Sometimes I have lesbian protagonists. Um, but yeah, I, that's the answer to that question. <laughs> and I'm, I'm an open book. You know, I don't mind when people ask me stuff. So yeah, I am. I will tell you, um, an interesting thing that comes up is some agents who um, are not, it turns out, the nicest agents will sometimes put pressure on you to say, well, your character is in a relationship with a girl and like I am married to a man. And so they will say, well, are you sure that you're queer enough to publish this book? And I'm like, well, I've been doing it very successfully for many years. I would say yes. But um, that's just me being sassy. But the truth is like that is very hurtful when people ask that. And anyone who knows anything about the queer community would know that. Right. Um, and luckily, those agents have kind of been outed and everyone in the queer community knows who they are and has acknowledged like we're not working with that person. Um, but that is something that comes up. So those of you who are writing like queer, especially pansexual or bisexual, bisexual protagonists, it's just something good to know when you go on the agenting or publishing um, standpoint, like you're a marketable thing, right? Like they want to market your book, but you are your book now. You know, people have access to you. You're constantly on YouTube. You're on Instagram. I mean, social media, Twitter, TikTok, blah, blah, blah. I hate, hate 
TikTok, but I've made like two videos so people know it's me when I comment on stuff about my own book. I'm like, it is me um, that you're making this TikTok about. But um, you are very like out there in a way that you didn't used to be. And so um, sometimes that can be hard. And if you ever are struggling with that, you're welcome to reach out to me, whoever you are in my classes or not, and just email me. Oh, so many good questions in the chat right now. And darn it, Paul, can you find them? I'm loving yeah, all I, these oh, I love our school so much. <laughs> this is why I, I worked here like over three years and I just like never will leave because I just love it so much. The sass is warranted. I love you. That's great. I know. What about backlash of people, critics, when you don't fit the label you're writing? Like if you're a, a man writing women protagonists, women writing male protagonists, etc. Hmm. Um, well, it's a tough question. Um, there's many different theories. I don't know that I can speak to all of them with, with the best ability. Um, I do know right now the huge push is for own voices um, for many different reasons. It's because these are stories that haven't been told. And, you know, if let's just say a publisher's like, <clears throat> I'm going to publish one bisexual protagonist book this year. And the one book that they pick isn't by someone who's bisexual, right? right. That's really hard. Um, yeah. And so it's like you've taken this spot from somebody who who wanted to feel represented as expressing themselves in this way. Um, I think this is something that as more and more diverse stories are becoming available and being published is shifting. And so I don't know what the future holds for that. I don't know. Um, some people say, well, it just depends how well you do it. Um, I don't know, you know, and I think a lot of it is like the market will tell you, right? Like agents will potentially ask you. Um, they might say, like, is this an own voices submission? Um, bullies may out you if you um, get like I've seen people have to come out on Twitter because so many people come down on them. It's not um, doing an own voices story just to find out like they were in the closet and now they're not anymore because they had to come out um, just so people would stop being mean to them on Twitter. And so it's such a complicated question. Yeah. I think it's one of the most important I mean, that's that's why, you know, we need diverse books does not use that that terminology anymore for exactly that reason. Yeah. So it's very complicated and I'm still learning about it. And I feel like even within my span of writing, like I used to write stories about people who were not like me, who honestly, like I didn't understand correctly what that would be like. And I would never write a story like that now. I've I've learned a lot over my years um, about what I personally, in my opinion, feel is appropriate for me to write. And that's been a learning experience for me. And I think it has been for a lot of authors. Um, so I can only give my opinion and what I've learned. Um, but yeah, I try to kind of stick with um, within my within my bounds of my identity as much as I can for those many different and complex reasons. Thanks for posting that, Melissa. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I also posted so, a little bit above a great article from Book Riot about what's happening with the with the term own voices in publishing. Yeah. Um, let me ask another question here from our uh, viewing audience. Um, I tend to write queer characters. And I've received a lot of criticism from people on making my writing too niche or too queer for straight readers. I'd love to hear how you respond to things like that. Well, as we've clearly decided, I swear I am like the nicest person. I really am. Like if someone is sick, I'm going to make them a soup and I'm going to walk into their house and I'm going to check on them the next day. Like I am that person. But I am also the person that's going to say, do you know how many straight characters I have read over the years? I'm doing fine, right? Like, I just feel like it, it just blows my mind that people are like, oh, you're going to read this like queer book and you're going to be queer. And I'm like, well, I'm not straight. And I read a lot of straight books. It did not work the other way. Um, I think that people just use all these buzzwords and buzz terms because they're afraid. I don't really know why they think that books are this thing to be afraid of, but they are. Um, and yeah, it can it can be hard. There is a lot of backlash. Writing young adult comes with a lot of backlash. Um, one of the other books from my publisher has already been banned in one state. Um, it, it's happening. You know, people are very afraid. Um, again, I think it's because they don't understand how the internet works. But um, 
Yeah, it, it can be it can be very challenging. I, I really think a lot of people are becoming cool with reading queer protagonists, protagonists, even when they're not queer. I think that like young adults are the best of us. They have their own issues, right? Like not reading, for example, using TikTok while I'm trying to talk to them in class. But <laughs> one thing they, they I love about them is like they just don't care about stuff like that. They're just like, cool, like every friend I have is gay. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. Like they just don't care. And so those are your readers and those people are growing up and going to read more books. And so um, it's it's something that I think is changing. And by the time your books get published, I don't think it will be as much of a concern. And I've already seen it be less of a concern in my time. You know, people will sometimes tell me like, I'm not queer. Um, you want me to open that yogurt for you, honey? I'll open that yogurt for you, honey. Um, my little three-year-old is here and wants a yogurt. <laughs> open the door I'm super proud of you um and so I I think that's that's shifting a lot um and I wouldn't be too worried about it great job good job you got hungry okay sorry that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah so you know it's like anything else in the world right now oh, oh thank you. well not always uh we were in Walmart <laughs> earlier straight on the ground like ah! Um, and that's another thing, you know, I bring them to literary events, like as long as they're going to be well behaved, or I'll just stick them in the corner, they go to my like, um, political, I won't say which way, but you can clearly guess meetings, like they come to everything, because I think it's important for them to kind of be exposed to all that stuff. But sometimes it is complicated. Um, but yeah, don't worry, it's it's getting better. The literary landscape is getting better. I think your readers are more understanding, and they're getting older, and they'll have their own money, and they will buy your books. So we're coming down to the end of our of our chat. This has been a wonderful experience. Uh, if anybody has another question that they want to throw into the to the chat, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to ask a, a question about fairy tales because we yeah. we did say that we were going to talk about fairy tales. Um, you know, the question of like, what is a fairy tale is, a, is an interesting one. Is Robin Hood a fairy tale or is it something else? Technically, a folk tale, it's not a fairy tale. I saw someone post about that because they put Robin and Hermes in a list of like fairy tales coming out. And it was like, OK, so not some of them aren't fairy tales. And like mine was one of the ones that wasn't. It's not like I feel like that's just what we call all things from like our childhood. Basically, it's like, oh, the fairy tale, like Winnie the Pooh. Like, no, not really. Although now I'm very tempted to write a retelling. But anyway, there you go. Um, you should. That's a problem for after I finish this co-author book. I mean, if anyone <laughs> would do it, it'd be me. But I'd be afraid of what Pooh would turn out like if I was writing it. But um, yeah, um, it's not. <laughs> it's the long and short of it. It's not. <laughs> Oh, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I, <love laughs> the Pooh I found my leader for this Winnie the Pooh book. Like, and here we go. And now oh, we're what was that? What was that horror, the horror movie that just came out recently with with uh, with Winnie the Pooh? And oh, uh, I don't know, but I have to see it now. Oh I yeah, I can't remember what it was called. Like, not. I don't do horror. Um, I like fantasy horror, but I don't do horror horror. But I love when my students write it because I admire them and appreciate them and love learning from them. But and now my cat is here. Blood and uh, honey. Yeah. Blood and honey. <laughs> Okay, that's, that's hilarious. I might actually watch that. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh my gosh. Any other well, final? I mean, that was an example of somebody who just basically waited for Winnie the Pooh to come into the public domain and then they grabbed it. And yeah. And there was a frog and toad parody during the pandemic there? that took off. And mm -hmm. now I think she's got three books parodied oh, wow. with Frog and wow. Toad. They're, they're wow. terrific. Yeah. I mean, so many books, like also like talking about fan fiction, so many books are fan fiction and then people just change them enough to have them not be fan fiction, you know. To, oh, like Twilight to is the... Yeah, it's like just change the names that. and like one thing about their physical description and like no one's gonna know. Like I just think people are so worried about that, but it's because they're so worried about the preciousness of their own idea. And I just, I don't find my ideas to be that precious anymore because I've seen so many wonderful writers. You know, sometimes even in my classes, I'll have to be like, oh, this is kind of similar to something I just finished and sent out or whatever, just to tell them like, you know, FYI, like other people right. write fairy stories. Just so you know, but um, yeah, it can be that can be, I think, something that kind of newer writers are are not as aware of, which also explains sort of that preciousness of the first book. Because it's like, oh, I've yeah. got this beautiful idea and it's so original and unique and amazing. And it is, um, but also maybe similar to some other ones. And that's OK. Yeah, I mean, and that's why it's important to, you know, read a lot. Yeah. Right. Because you have yeah. to know what is being produced in your genre and what has been produced in your genre. I mean, a lot of people don't 
I find a lot of readers, a lot of writers in our in our classes are don't really um, have a working knowledge of the history of their particular genre. You know, they've read maybe 10 years ago, but what about 20 years ago, about 30 years ago or 40 years ago? I mean, the the writing styles, the mores, the subject matter, all of that may have changed quite a bit, but that doesn't mean there isn't something you can learn, learn from that. So and at some point in your career, you probably pick it up. Yeah, I hated English. I was an English major in undergrad and I switched out of it to I did creative writing, but I switched out of it to be um, women's studies at the time, which I would do gender studies if that had been an option. But it wasn't so much has changed already in like a decade. Um, but yeah, so I was women's studies because I hated English classes because I didn't understand how to apply what I was learning to my own writing. Um, and I hadn't taken enough classes, I don't think, to understand, you know, and so for a long time, I did just writing or contemporary authors. And then for my PhD, um, it was basically a lit PhD. So people don't understand, like, PhDs are not like MFAs. PhDs are like, here's a bunch of lit classes about t- early text technologies and American literature. Now go write a creative book is like your final year after you've passed exams. And you take workshops on the way, but they don't care about them. They don't count for anything towards your degree. It's just an English degree. And so I appreciated it because um, I really liked what I read. And I felt like by then I was an author. And so I could I could pick things out of like Virginia Woolf and apply it to my own writing. I use things as prompts. Like I found ways of making it feel like it related to my writing in a way it never had before. And now and now I have such an appreciation for literature, but I need someone to teach me because it's it's a learning curve for me. But um, yeah, it is. It's a great experience. If anyone's considering, you can email me and ask me questions about PhDs as well. I know a lot of students have those questions. Well, you you have opened the floodgates. I'm sure you've been very generous in right. making these offers to share so information. In. Send me all your questions. Maybe not your stories because I'm I'm trying to write my book right now. But send me your right. questions for sure because I would love to answer them. Any questions whatsoever. And on that note, I'm going to end our our chat. So thank you very much, Kelly, for joining thank us. You. And best of yeah, luck with everything you, you're doing this summer. And Belissa, so great to see you. You as well. As thank always, thank you, Kelly. And we will see you all next time. All right. See you soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye.